when I was a kid, I heard a whole lot about the American dream. Um, the dream then was to own a home and two cars. That was up a bit from Herbert Hoover's days when his presidential campaign was a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. Um, but today, uh, many people have three to five cars in their family. And, you know, we live in homes that, that were beyond our wildest imagination. So in order to keep that going, we got to have something else. We have, a, have to have a new slogan, and that is... We've talked about many times, you deserve, you fill in the blank. It might be a luxury car, European vacation, or a massage every week. You know, whatever it is, you deserve it. I am certain of that. Uh, in America, we're always looking for life. In fact, we're looking for a better life. I, I remember uh, just a couple of months before my wife Linda was diagnosed with the brain tumor, I, I remember saying to her, you know, we don't get much sleep, but somehow I feel like we're living more than most people, you know? Except that you don't get any sleep either. So, uh, And then it, it, was, it was stark contrast in my own mind when, you know, when she got sick and you start thinking about what is life. We're always looking for life. We're looking for a better life. We're looking really for new life. If you are a Christian, if, if you follow Jesus then the term new life has special meaning for you. Uh, the New Testament teaches, if there's one fact that the New Testament teaches, though it's little understood, and even if it's understood, it's not accepted, it is that apart from Jesus, we have no spiritual life. We are, in the words of Ephesians 2, and it's stated so many other places as well, dead in our trespasses and sins before Christ. But we breathe, we eat, we work, and we play. So it feels like we're very much alive, even if we've never even heard Jesus' name. Or if we had, and we think, what's the big deal? When we believe that Jesus is God, that he died to save us from our sins, we receive spiritual life that is eternal. Life that we don't deserve. And, and, and we receive a new life for our days on earth that may not include a chicken in the pot and a luxury SUV. But it is meaningful and purpose-filled beyond anything we could have conceived without Christ, even if it requires us to suffer for our faith. That's what we're going to read about this morning in our text, Acts 9, verses 1 to 31. Now, Saul, who was betrayed as Luke practically, this is very interesting when you think about how Saul, or Luke portrayed Saul. Luke was Paul's traveling companion for years and years, and yet, before he met Jesus, he portrays him practically as a, as a wild beast who ravaged the church with persecution that bordered on sadistic cruelty. And it was this Saul who met Jesus on the road to Damascus. I'm going to let the text tell the familiar story. But read carefully, read intentionally, as, as you read this story that you've read many times before as we go through it. If you would, please stand, as is our custom, and we will read Acts 9, verses 1 to 31. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. Now, we're going to see this in just a, You'll see it, the, the progression in a minute. This was three years later, actually. There's a gap um, between verses 22 and 23, and we'll fill that in a little bit later. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, leaving him in a basket. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, 
they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus, off to Tarsus. And then verse 31 that we'll not talk about today, but what a beautiful verse. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Is that not God's desire for every New Testament church? The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Let's pray. Father, may we be that church that we just read about in verse 31. And Lord, may we recall our encounter with Jesus. Or it could be that even on this day, you desire to meet someone for the first time. Or for them to meet you, you created them. You created us all. But Lord, what a day it is when we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So Father, speak to our hearts as we read this word about a story 2,000 years ago that resonates in our hearts loudly today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks and be seated. Do we choose God or does He choose us? That is the question. I used to talk about how I found the Lord. I found the Lord when I was 18 years old. This happened and this happened. And I thought, you know, I just ought to to get to know. I ought to trust Jesus. Over the years, as I thought back to what happened in my life, I realized it wasn't I who was doing the finding. He was finding me. He was running me down and saving me. The answer to the question is that God always chooses us. And if He chooses us, we will always choose Him. So the short answer to the question is, God chooses. That will become crystal clear in our text. And it's not only here, it's time and again in the Scripture. An example as well as teaching. In the beginning of this chapter, I want to ask you a question. At the beginning of this chapter, does Saul look like a man who is seeking Jesus? No! He was breathing threats and murder against Christ's followers. Every time we've seen his name in Acts thus far, this is like the fourth time. Every time it's bad news for the Christians. Here we see a man who was almost possessed in his mission to destroy Christianity. And the way to do that and to please the Lord at the same time, at least in his mind, was to destroy those who claimed to follow Jesus. When Saul went on his rampage in Jerusalem, the believers fled. And so he said, got to go after them. The mice have left the house, so let's go find them in the fields. Wherever they are, we're going to run them down. We're going to kill them. We're going to put an end to this. We're going to haul them back to Jerusalem and make an example of them right here. Saul was hunting followers of Jesus, but Jesus was hunting Saul. Same way. Every one of you who have trusted Jesus, you've been hunted by him. He came after you. Perhaps you've heard of the late 
19th century poet Francis Thompson, who was greatly or who greatly influenced such writers as G.K. Chesterton and J.R.R. Tolkien. Thompson's most famous poem was The Hound of Heaven, in which he describes the way that the Lord pursued him. He came from the absolute opposite end of the, of the success spectrum as the Apostle Paul. Paul was utterly successful. Thompson was utterly not successful. He seemed a failure at everything that he pursued. He studied for the priesthood, but he, but he quit. He flunked out of medical school. He joined the military, but he was released after one day. Stephen Bartowell, where are you? We don't, we don't want to hear about that, okay, Stephen? I mean, it'd be nice to have you around, but don't do it that way. He moved to London. He became a homeless opium addict, and at one point, Attempted suicide. Even so, he couldn't get away from God's love for him. Thompson sent his poems to London newspapers and magazine in hopes that he would be published. And, 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 and nobody did until finally the editor of Merry England published, published um, one of his poems in his magazine. And all of a sudden, it was the talk of the town. He was the talk of the town being compared to writers like Robert Browning. Few people have described the Lord's pursuit of us more eloquently and the human soul more eloquently than Thompson, the hound of heaven. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears I hid from him and under running laughter. Up vistaed hopes I sped. And shot precipitated down titanic glooms of chasm fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace. Deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat, more instant than defeat. All things betray thee who betrayest me. Do you remember when the hound of heaven ran you down? It's unlikely that many of you had a story like Saul's. Hey, I, I believe it happens. I've told this story two or three times here. May as well tell it again. A couple of our missionaries that we have supported through the years, Art Nevioner, uh, the, uh also the Lytles, um, Mar- Roy and Margaret Lytle, both down in Suriname, Roy, Mar- Roy and Margaret told this story to our home group one night. They said that they were down in the jungles of Suriname and they had heard about this, uh, this group of nomads who had, had been traveling in the area. And so they sent off a group to look for them so they could share Jesus with them. And Roy didn't go, but Art did. Art Yoner went. And they found this lady and her two children who had been separated from the group, and she was very hungry, and they fed her. And very soon after she started eating, she said, the man told me you would come. And they said, what are you talking about? She said, well, there was a cat, a leopard, or whatever cat it was that was circling us. And he was about to pounce on, on me and my children, and I had gathered my children. They're very fatalistic. They were just ready to die, as so many people in third-world countries are. It's like, well, okay, yeah, it's my turn. And, and they were just waiting to die, and the, and, and, and the cat was about to pounce. And, and all of a sudden, she said, a white man stood in between us, whiter than you. She pointed to Art. And, and the cat ran away, and he turned to me, 
and said, Men will come who will tell you about me. And that had to be Jesus. I mean, that's not an angel. That had to be Jesus in the jungles. And yet we think we're so much better than those jungle people. None of us ever seen Jesus, I wouldn't think. If you have, raise your hand in a a situation like that. We need to hear your story. So it still happens today. It's not the norm, though. It's It's not the normal encounter with Christ, but I guarantee you Saul's story and even that, that story of the hound of heaven resonates in your heart. Saul had planned to continue his persecution of believers with great passion, but suddenly he saw a great blinding light and a voice spoke to him. Saul was terrified, just as you would have been. Now, this is not the only time this story is told. There are, there are gaps in a couple of places in Acts 9 that we need to fill in. It's also told in, in, in Acts 22, as Paul recounted what happened to him when he, when he was confronted by a Jerusalem mob that wanted to kill him. And then again in Acts 26, as he's making his defense before King Agrippa. And between the three counts, we get a, a, counts, we get, we get a full story. So I'm going to put the order of events on the screen. And if you have interest in these kinds of things, you may want to write this down. And and as you study it a little bit later, it'll help you to make sense of of the timelines and the events surrounding Saul's conversions. Uh, All of the references here are from the book of Acts. So here's what occurred. First of all, Saul and his companions were traveling down to Damascus to persecute Christians. Around noon... We're told in the 22nd chapter that a light brighter than the midday sun blinded Saul and it knocked him over. Saul and his companions heard a voice, but only Saul understood what was being said. I I, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means that, you know, that uh, that. It was like another language to them. He spoke in the Hebrew tongue. Jesus spoke in the Hebrew tongue. So so obviously it must be that that they just were not allowed to hear. It may have just sounded like gibberish. I don't know what it sounded like to them. Jesus accused Saul of persecuting him and resisting him. In Acts 26, 14, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. It's very interesting how, how Saul, who just seemed to be ravenous for the, for the lives of Christians just to, to destroy them was actually resisting the Lord. He was under conviction. Saul asked the speaker to identify himself, calling him Lord. He, he knew that he was not, you know, dealing with, um, with Silas from the synagogue. Jesus revealed himself to Saul. And Saul then submitted to the Lord. And his companions led him into Damascus by the hand. Now, there are a couple of things. Let's look at a little bit closer. Uh, We see a picture of this extremely self-reliant, self-righteous man setting out to destroy Christianity and instead being struck blind on the road to Damascus. When... Jesus first spoke to him. He said, why, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
this intellectual religious leader of Judaism, the, the one true religion before Jesus. It was all pointing to Jesus, but this was the true religion. But this brilliant man understood in a flash, pun not intended, that he had been wrong. He had been absolutely wrong. And he also understood very quickly that Jesus took persecution of his followers very, very personally. I would imagine Saul expected at this point he was going to die. Don't you? Why have you been persecuting me? Let me give you a little taste of your own medicine. But Jesus indicated something else about Saul that's not recorded in Acts 9. It is in Acts 26, 14. He told Saul that it was hard for him to kick against the goads. Now, the goads were sharp sticks that were used to prod animals. And, you know, uh, all animals will slow up every so often, and so you take that stick and you poke them. If you kick against it, it's just going to hurt you all the more. I mean, um, and, and so the, the Lord was saying to Paul, Paul, I've been after you, and you've been resisting. Think about all the, the ways that the Lord had been wooing Saul for this time. Saul knew the Old Testament Scriptures backwards and forwards. And he had heard Stephen say that Jesus would replace the temple. And he, he had to make sense of all of that. Because he, along with the writer of Hebrews, had to know that, that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. You've got to do it over and over and over. So there had to be something better. And wasn't all of that pointing to something anyway? Not only that, he had seen the light shining on Stephen's face when he told the story starting with Abraham, but then going up through Moses and the law and all the ways that God had been pointing to Jesus through the Old Testament. It had to remind him of Moses' face, Mike was telling us in, in home group the other night, shining as, as he spoke to these religious leaders. And then... He had watched Stephen as he was dying from being stoned to death. Not a, not a great way to die if you've got to go. Tie your hands behind your back, put you in a pit, and they take boulders and throw them down on you. These huge rocks and almost small boulders and throw them down on you. Hitting you, and he's looking up and saying, Father, do not hold this sin against them. Do not lay this sin against them. No doubt Saul was wrestling with the truth and he was under conviction a lot of this time. And the way that he dealt with it was to go as far as he, hard as he could in the other direction. It's the way it happens a lot of times, which is one of those reasons we should never, ever, ever give up hope that someone will come to Jesus. Allison has a relative in Australia. Every time you see him, he talks about, you know, I'm going to be burning one day. And, of course, he doesn't believe it. But I sense in this man, in Donald, pray for him, a desire for something that's not there. Well, God ran Saul down. 
See, we just think we're going to get away from him. We never do. Saul submitted as he had to, for God had chosen him, both as his child and as his representative to the, to the Gentiles. He was going to speak to the Jews, but he was primarily going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. After the encounter, Saul was blind, so his companions had to lead him into Damascus. Can you imagine what a different scene this is from the one he had planned? Where's the synagogue? Oh, he knew where the synagogue was. He was going to go. Are there any followers of the way in the synagogue, Rabbi? We're going to take them back to Jew. He didn't come that way at all. He came like this. Somebody leading him. Okay, there's a hole. There's a dip in the road. Saul, be careful. Jesus had told Saul that when he, would re- uh, when he arrived, someone would come to him to tell him, what he was to do. Saul was no longer in charge. No wonder that he fasted for three days after this experience. No, no food, no water. Don't you wonder what Saul's companions thought? I mean, we're not told whether, whether or not they believed, but Paul mentioned them both times in his testimony, both in Acts 22 and Acts 26. At the very least, we have to say that Paul's companions being a part of this experience Indicate that it really happened. There's no way that people could deny it and say, Oh, you're just making that up, Paul. You're just making it up. Well, there were people who could say, Oh, yeah, I don't know exactly what happened, but, but I can tell you there was something. There was a light. There was a voice. We don't know what it said. At the very least, that's what happened. While Saul was fasting, the Lord dealt with one of his servants, Ananias, in a vision. You, you can imagine how this went. Jesus says, Ananias, yes, Lord, I'm here. Get up, I'm up. Go to Straight Street, I'm on the way. Look for Saul of Tarsus. He's blind and I want you to lay hands on him so that he'll regain his sight. Now, Scripture doesn't say there was a silence between verses 12 and 13, but we we might assume that there was one. A pregnant pause, you might say. And, and Ananias may have said something like, because, you know, it's not all recorded here. I've, Ananias tells Paul something that's not in this little part. He may have said something like, like Lord, okay, his sight is bad. I think my hearing's going, you know. I, I don't believe I heard that quite right. I mean, this man is trying to kill us. He's trying to wipe out the followers, those who follow you. You know, even though the Lord didn't owe Ananias an explanation, he provided one anyway. I've chosen this man to give testimony before the Gentiles and before kings. And he needs to know he's going to suffer. Now, now think about this in context of the title of the message and the theme of new life in Jesus Well, Ananias obeyed, and he welcomed Saul into the body of Christ. Just think about his greeting. Brother Saul. Most likely, Ananias knew people who had been murdered at the direction of of Saul. Very likely, 
He knew widows with small children who were going to need a lot of attention and care now because Saul had had the husband murdered. Nonetheless, this great, great man of God laid hands on Saul and the scales fell away from Saul's eyes so that he could see. You know, we think about we talk about this person is great in the kingdom of God. Generally, it means that he, he, he or she is very public. You know, and has a great ministry. You don't have to have any of that to be great. Can you think of anybody any greater than Ananias? In Scripture, we just, we just see the least little blip in his life. But look at the man going over there. Look, three years later in Jerusalem, the apostles are scared of him. And Ananias goes over there, and when it's as fresh as it can be, people have been murdered and displaced because of him. He says, Brother Saul. Now, Acts 22 tells us that Saul, well, first we're told here the scales fell away. I mean, I, I'm sure you could even see something physically falling away from his eyes. And then Acts 22 tells us that Saul was baptized right away. And then there's another timeline that is helpful to understand about the events that followed Saul's baptism. It's, they're filled in by other New Testament passages. So here's what, here's what happened. Once again, here's another one of those lines if you want to, timelines. And you might want to do this one shorthand because, you know, it might not be enough time. Saul immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. He went out of there and he just went to the synagogue where he, they thought he was going to stand up and say, If anybody knows anybody in the way... And now he's, now he's saying, I want you to know, I'm in the way. I've, I've, I am a follower of the way. I follow Jesus Christ. Then he quickly went to the Arabian desert and was alone with the Lord before returning to Damascus and ministering there for a period of time. And all combined, these, these activities accounted for up to three years. Galatians 1, 15 to 17 tells us that. And then Acts 9 says, after many days he went down to Jerusalem, or they, they plotted to kill him. But, but think about that time in the desert. This was a very public man. And I'm sure he, he preached quite persuasively in the synagogues. And yet the Lord sent him into the desert. And he was alone for quite some time. And he came back to Damascus. And he had to escape because they were going to kill him by being let down in a basket over the city walls. Now, now, this may have been rather exhilarating, but it was also quite humbling. I mean, Winston Churchill said, there is nothing so exhilarating as being shot at without result. A little different thinking than Paul, you know. Paul, is, it's, Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 tells us that this was quite a humbling experience. And he gets down to Jerusalem, and he meets with Peter and James there. We're not told this in Acts 9, but we are in Galatians 1. In fact, Saul spent two weeks in Peter's home. And some Hellenists seek to kill him, and he flees to Tarsus. And we don't hear again from him for some eight to ten years. From the time of, of, of his first missionary journey... 
this man would forevermore be known as Paul the Apostle. Fourteen years from Saul's conversion to Paul's ministry. Same man. Fourteen years. We think about him getting saved and going into that synagogue and he's just hitting the ground running and he keeps on going and going and going. But he didn't. There was a whole lot of downtime before he began to serve the Lord. You ever felt like you're just wasting time waiting to serve the Lord? There is so much you want to be doing and yet God is not allowed you to. He's not opened the door. Consider our brother Paul. God not only humbled him, he utterly broke him. This new life was difficult at first. But if there's one theme that comes, comes through over and over and over in Paul's writings, is that he found great joy in his walk with and his service for the Lord Jesus. And he says, you want me to tell you about something sad? What's sad is when I was back there thinking I was it. Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Benjamite, never broke the law from according to man's standards, not God's standards, but according to man's standards, I never broke the law. I was on top of the world. But I was a horrible person. The worst sinner that ever existed. I murdered those. Who followed Jesus. That was awful. This new life, it's all right. Because I'm not looking at the things which are seen. I'm looking at the things which are not seen. The things that we see are temporary. They're temporal. The things that we don't see, those are eternal. And they give me great joy because they're wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. So do not fret when life is hard. Or when your service for the Lord seems stagnant. Jesus is building His life into you as long as you stay connected to Him. You will discover in your relationship with Jesus. But only in your relationship to Jesus. You, you go after that stuff. You go after houses and cars and jacuzzis and vacations you're not going to discover it. You stay connected to Jesus, you will discover life to the full, no matter your circumstances. Okay, three conclusions from today's text. First, God chooses us for salvation and for ministry, not the other way around. Two, life is not measured by material possessions and public acclaim. It is measured by God's favor and our relationship with Jesus. Three, God's timetable is often different from ours. Even though this life seems short, God is not in a hurry. He is always on time in His dealings with us. Well, a lot of preachers... Follow a pattern in a message. What do you need to know? What do you need to do? You know what we need to do on this one? We just need to say, okay, Lord. This is beautiful truth. And I accept it. And I am so grateful 
that you chose me. Never, ever, ever be arrogant about the doctrine of election. Don't you dare act like you know so much about God because you're coming across like I'm worthy. None of us deserve anything. We're like Paul. We ought to have been killed on the spot. But he chose us. That's a beautiful thing. And our relationship with him is what counts, not what we have, not what we accrue. And whatever's happening right now, you know what? It's okay. God's timetable is not mine. It's all right. He's always on time in his dealings with me. Let's pray.